Hi, my name's Stephen Lyons, and I'm on the Bean Break with Blake. Indeed he is, that's right. Our guest this week is Stephen Lyons, as he said. So uh, let's not mess about any more than we already have been. Let's get straight into it. Stephen, who the hell are you? I know. A question I have asked myself many times over the last 15 minutes. Um, hi, yeah, I'm Stephen. I'm a, I'm an entertainer. I'm a comedian. I, um, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm a comedian. Yeah, I guess that's what I've been doing the last few years. Um, uh, I do improv. I do stand up. Um, yeah, I just like, uh, I warm up for TV shows sometimes, uh, the project in seven days. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was born in America, raised in New Zealand, and then I went back and, uh, trained in Chicago. Awesome. How did you get started on the comedy scene? Uh, a classic comedy start, middle child. Right. Classic comedy start. You know, where you go, well, I'm not that smart, and I'm not the new child, so I guess I need some way to be of interest. Um, I did a lot of, I did drama when I was a kid and, um, yeah, I was a child actor. I, uh, in terms of, I did like featured extra work and, um, you know, somewhere there's a para rubber ad with me riding a bicycle. I don't even know if para rubber still exists. Um, I'm pretty sure that they went the way of the Georgie pie. Uh, but, um, yeah, I did, I did that. And then I stopped doing acting for a few years when I was a teenager. And then I started doing drama at high school and, uh, one of my teachers got me into improv and I kind of kept doing improv from there. I did improv for about 20 years. Comedy wasn't always an interest of yours. Would you say, would you say it's something you had to grow into? Comedy is never an interest of mine. (laughs) (laughs) People are an interest of mine. I like people. I like, uh, comedy I think is really interesting because it is, I just grew up surrounded by so much comedy. Like, um, I think I was, I have an older brother and, uh, we used to watch like on Friday nights, we would go over to channel one and watch like, um, Black Adder. And, uh, you know, we grew up, we grew up, you know, in the nineties, that era of sitcoms where, Everything was sitcoms uh, on Kiwi TV uh, that we were watching. Um, and so a lot of like Blackadder, Seinfeld, um, even Friends and stuff like that was, you know, just like, and on The Simpsons. I mean, The Simpsons was, uh, possibly still is, a very funny show that we were kids just going like, oh man, that's fun. And me and my brother, I think we bonded over comedy, you know, like we... We used to watch a show called uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, um, you know, which is just, even to this day, it still brings back the fondest memories um, because it's just people talking through old movies. And when me and my brother were kids, we loved it because you'd get to sit and hang out. Did you grow up here or grow up in the States? I uh, So I didn't know much about my childhood um pre-New Zealand until recently. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I knew where I was born, but I didn't quite realize the journey that I'd been. So I was born in L.A., and then I lived in Houston. Then we moved to Saudi Arabia for a year and a half, and then we flew uh, back to New Zealand. Well, my family flew back. I was here for the first time. Um, yeah, so I moved to New Zealand. I moved back. Well, I moved to New Zealand when I was about four. Um, and then I lived here till I was 28, I think. Yeah. And then I moved to Chicago. Awesome. Do you spend, um, lots of time in the U S these days? (laughs) Global pandemic. Um, yeah, I was, I, my hope is always to be able to go back and spend more time there. Uh, I've been back, uh, a couple of times touring with, um, my wonderful friend and incredibly talented comedian, Jamie Campbell. And, uh, so we've been on tour a couple of times, which was really fun. Uh, once doing a comedy, uh, variety show and once doing a, just a straight stand up um, tour. And it was just amazing to get to tour around the U S and to get show, to do shows to, you know, like small towns and weird stuff. You know, I got to perform on a stage where Abraham Lincoln had given a, uh, an address Damn. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I was like, oh, my God, that's the most exciting thing that's going to happen to me tonight. Uh, and then about 15 minutes into my set, a, uh, a bat uh, <laughs> dive-bombed me. And uh, <laughs> You heard your opinions on Batman. The, oh, yeah. He was like, 
<laughs> I am the darkness. I am the darkness. Yeah, and um, apparently the theater just forgot to tell us that they have bats. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we have. I mean, at least it was during uh, your your um, your show. Uh, we had it happen during a kid's show a couple of months ago, and they were real scared. Oh, God. And, and, well, it was really weird to me, too, because I grew up with public health care. So, like, a bat dive-bombed me, and I was like, oh, well, it's just a bat. Whereas the whole audience was like, ah, which makes sense, because for them, if they get attacked by a bat, you know. It's costly. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, there goes my new car. Yeah. Yeah, whereas New Zealand, we're like, all right, I got scratched a bit. ACC. Yeah, ACC, <laughs> I fell down some stairs. I was not drunk. I was drunk. Don't tell them that. Don't tell them that. Actually, you can tell them that. It is still an accident. Really? I don't know. It's been a while since I, uh, yeah, it's been a long time since I claimed ACC for an alcohol-related injury. That's a good thing. That's what I like to think. But, <laughs> oh, if we track him back to the, the, my 20s. We're going to have quite a few ACC claims that I might need to talk about. So what are you doing in the US this time when you're going over? I'm just over for a wedding. So it's really nice. Um, My friend Jamie is actually getting married. So it was really nice to be able to go over for that. Um, Scary to travel. I do do not want to hop on a plane right now. And especially not to fly to uh, the wonderful nation of America. Um, So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, it's just a weird time to be doing stuff. Fair enough. Do you prefer NZ over the US or? Uh, everywhere. Everywhere is different. Like New Zealand is, um, I've been so grateful for the opportunities that I've had since I've been back of getting to, um, getting to actually be a comedian, you know, like I, this is, this is what I do full time. This is normally how I pay. I mean, before pandemic, it was 100% how I paid my bills. Um, yeah, the last couple of years obviously have been a real struggle. But, um, you know, it's nice to be near my family and uh, it's very cool to to just be here and be, you know, working on this stuff. Because in America, there's so many people who are, you know, just incredibly talented, doing amazing things. And New Zealand, there's a whole bunch of incredibly talented people, too. Uh, the good thing about New Zealand is, like, once you get to a certain level of talent, financially you tend to leave New Zealand, which hopefully, you know, <laughs> oh, oh, good. Yeah, it's good. Keep cycling out so Stephen can get some work. Um, yeah, and then maybe at some point I'll have that level of talent. Who knows? Um, but, no, it's – it's. I love New Zealand. It is um, – I miss American audiences, but that's just because they're so – they're so keyed into stand-up. And they're so passionate about comedy. New Zealand, we're, we're, we love to laugh and we have incredible senses of humor here. But we just haven't, we don't have the same exposure to comedy. You know, like American audiences, the majority of them, they see comedy the same way we see sports. Where it's like, oh, I'm excited to go and see a club rugby game because I know this guy's playing and he's going to be a future All Black. And so it's really cool that you get to see him play and then you're going to follow his journey. And then when he's in all black, you're like, yeah, I saw him back in the day. Mm. Um, I don't think there's many New Zealanders who approach comedy the same way uh, where they're like, oh, my God, I saw this person at a club before they were big. Because we're Kiwis. We have a little bit of that tall poppy where we're like, you're never going to make it. Yeah. Great show, mate. Never going to make it. Yeah, there's always that sarcastic just <laughs> overtone to everything. And it's uh it's changing, it's changing a lot. And then it's also that idea of like what is it to like what is it to make it? You know? And that was something I learned uh was a huge difference between my upbringing in New Zealand and my American friends upbringing. Like, you know, you're talking people who are like, "Oh, you know, I just want to be you know, I want to be in movies in Hollywood and I want to, you know, like I can, I want to, that's making it. Whereas for me, I'm like, man, if I can, if I can pay my, my rent, you know, if I can raise a family, if I can be happy, financially stable, that would be in my mind, making it, that would be incredible. And for me doing comedy, I only have, my goal is always just, I just want to, I just want to entertain. I want to give people a good time. And so the mantra is just, if I entertained 10 people last week, can I entertain 15 people this week? Can I entertain 20 the next? I'm greedy like that. Yeah, of course. And would, then it's back down to four. <laughs> would you say that you've made it? 
No, no, <laughs> not even close. But part of that is, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of comedians. Um, I say there's no real need for me to hedge this, uh, but like I, I have mental, some mental health issues, which um, were part of the reason that I came back to New Zealand. Uh, there's, um, yeah, like I'm about, uh, uh, yeah, I'm someone who I've been a high functioning ADHD person for most of my life. And never really realized it. I was one of those people who you just constantly told, like, oh, you need to be a bit less lazy and a bit more organized. Uh, and um, I'm only now, in the last few years, kind of realizing fundamentally my brain is not operating the same way as other people's brains. In, in fact, even before the show, you mentioned that I was left-handed. I spent my entire life, like, I spent 35 years of my life um, under the impression that 50, it was about a 50, 50 split between left and right handed people. Right. That is just not remotely true. It, no, not even remotely. Couldn't be further actually. <laughs> Could not. It's, it's like what? It's like 10% or something. Yeah, there's, there's so few left handed people. Yeah. And so in my mind, I, I, just thought because you've also got to remember like uh, i'm a i'm a performer so i'm living in the bubble like performers it is about 50 50 from my life experience you know if i was in an improv show with eight people three to five of them are going to be left-handed that's interesting so like to me it had never occurred to me never occurred to me that that was a thing you know at all because i'm not super smart <laughs> uh, what was the question? Yeah, I'm doing great. Oh, have I made it? <laughs> I was on a better track before the pandemic. Um, I think everyone was. Yeah, so I think the the oh the point that I was trying to make was yeah that I was um yeah I uh, before pandemic I was doing I was producing a lot more shows and I hadn't realized how many of my um habits and um like things that i'd put in place to keep my adhd at bay kind of just disappeared once we all got told to go home and sit in our rooms for three months and uh it was that was really weird because i wasn't you know your whole hustle stops because you can't plan like a lot of comedians uh, and live performers at large we've been we've been left for you know two and a half years now not really able to plan yeah, like even, uh, I mean, even December last year, I went, I got, something's got to change because I need to get back to work. I need to get back to trying to make my own future and build a pathway. Uh, so I booked the, you know, booked a bunch of shows, sorted it out. My first week back I had, you know, of like solid shows, I had five shows booked and that was the same week that we had the outbreak. And um, if you're suffering with like mental health stuff already, it is that really hard because it just bumps you back to going like, what? Why did I? You know, why did I bother? Why did I? And it's yeah, you know, and it's it's irrational. It's not a rational thing. This is a massive global thing, and um, yeah, you know, and I stand by all of the canceling of those shows. <laughs> like, uh, but it is something where, um. As a comedian, a lot of the times you, you know, you have to pull yourself back up after shows anyway, where you're like, I'm trying, is this working? Is that working? You know, and, uh, and then it's just like, oh, the show's not happening at all. So don't worry. Yeah. Did you have any, like, anything at all you did during lockdown? Any projects or anything? Any online projects? Yeah, I um, I did streaming, so I was doing stuff to um, keep myself sane. So we had uh, two major, uh, three projects that I really um, was w had a good time that helped save my sanity. Um, if it didn't help my flatmates, uh, although I think they quite liked. So the I was doing um, a lunchtime stream playing an old '90s video game called Where in the World Is Carmen Sandiego. And um, it is a very basic detective game where you uh, <laughs> you travel around the world trying to catch up to uh, ridiculously named villains 
who are stealing like, you know, oh, someone has stolen the pyramids from Giza. You need to track them down. And you'll be like, oh, I got to ask this person a question. They're like, he was driving a sports car. And you're like, oh, okay. So it's someone with the whole game is profiling. Like all the game right. is, is it's just like, oh, so they were a blonde person in a sports car. Um, you know, who had a uh, had glasses, and you're like, oh, okay, great. Can I get a warrant based on that? And then this robot goes, yeah, you can. That's perfect. And I was like, oh, that is not how evidence works. <laughs> Some dude uh, told me that you uh, wear roller skates. All right, you're going to jail. <laughs> it's uh, but we were doing. I was doing that twice a week, and it was really fun, and it was a good like people who were working from home could put it on in the background. Uh, and it was just silly. That was on Twitch uh, as This Is Rabbit, if anyone wants to go and find it. And it's been a while since I streamed. Uh, I also did a um, an improv show with um, Amy Bird, helped me. Uh, she's a comedian, improviser in Auckland. Uh, helped me to set up a show called Virtually There, um, which is a really fun improv show. And a couple of those episodes are still online on Paper Goat at Facebook. Normally I'm really good at plugging. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just like, when I, when I haven't prepared my plugs, I'm like, what did I do? When was <laughs> it? Uh, I also, my, I think my favorite project I worked on during lockdown was uh, during like our second or third lockdown. And it was called the role playing game. Um, and it was a live stream. Um, basically it was a board game where you go on a plane ride and it was, uh, yeah, it was really weird. And we were just playing, like, uh, silly, um, like, beautiful vaporwave music. And I got everyone to check in. Everyone had to conceptually buy tickets. There were no rules or structure other than, like, what what I had created, but it was all up for grabs. So it was really fun where people logged in and they're like, wait, were we meant to buy tickets? And I was like, you can buy tickets for me. And they're like, how? And I was like, well, just ask for a ticket great, I'll have a ticket. And I was like, great, wrote their name down. Cool, who else? Oh, can I get a first class ticket? Oh, of course you can. (laughs) And they were like, wait, can I upgrade? Oh, I'm so sorry. You already have a ticket in economy. Uh, It's just this dumb thing where it's like arbitrary rules. Um, My friend David Prentice helped me by drawing some like um, bathrooms. So if someone went, oh, can I go to the bathroom? Then, uh, yeah. And they're just putting it in the chat. They're like, hey, uh, how does using the bathroom work? And I was like, are you sure you want to go to the bathroom? All right. This is what the bathroom looks like. And he'd done drawings of this disgusting bathroom that we could cut to. Um, I did like a little illustration of a window um, on the side of a plane, and then I played takeoff and landing videos um, so that we'd all feel like we were on a plane. Because I don't know, like, I don't know, yeah, like that was a weird, I think a lot of New Zealanders travel a lot. Like we fly places because, you know, um, yeah, because we can't afford houses. Uh, That's why we can't afford houses. Well, it's chicken and the egg. Chicken, am I escaping because I want to get away or because I need to get away? Um, you know, look, I, I'm on the side of it's the, it's the government's fault, not my own. I should, I should have a house, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Don't put that in. I need their money. Like, I mean... <laughs> Please give me funding. Yeah, I mean, realistically, for a person my age, I don't see buying a house happening in my lifetime. Yeah, how does that feel? It feels weird because I was brought up by my grandparents who were very traditionalist and were like, oh, yeah, you got to be married by X age. you got to have a house by X age. By the time I was 30, I had a house, I was married. And for me, that was the expectation growing up. And I was like, all right, I've got to match that. And then now I'm looking at it, I'm a bit older, I'm just like, <laughs> that's not happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, ha <laughs> house. <laughs> Impossible. What about, do you feel like you would own an apartment? I don't, even that's a stretch. Like, honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if I rented my whole life. <sighs> so surreal. It is so, it's, um... One of my one of my favorite movies is um, "It's a Wonderful Life." Uh, Jimmy Stewart. It's a um, it's an American like Christmas movie, um, and because you know it's a very positive movie, it starts out with a guy being like, "Yeah, I should probably just kill myself," and then an angel goes, "Well, hold up," and you know, then most of the movie is just flashbacks. Uh, and what I didn't realize is like. He worked his whole life at his father's um, savings and loan, which was basically just social housing. And I was like, man, this is weird that this is an iconic American movie where it's 
all anti-capitalism and it's all about everyone supporting each other. And uh, I think we're, I think you're of the right age where we'll get there. We'll get there, you know, in the next 10 years, some weird stuff will happen and we'll sort it out. I think we're going to get more and more stuff where it's like, you know, people who are young being like, great, me and three of my friends are going to buy a villa together. You know, none of us are going to own a house, but we can each afford to own part of this house. Hmm. And then when we're in our mid thirties to late fifties, we can sell our part of that house and buy our own house. Yeah. Something like that. It's, I have a dream for you. <laughs> Thank you, Martin Luther King. Yes, I I see socialism on the horizon. Either that, or we'll you know we'll put national in, and then we can all just you know cry, get sick, and die. And it'll be thirty years, and all of a sudden there'll be a whole bunch of people in their forties going, "Man, what happened to music and art?" And we go, "Oh, national." I remember the days. <laughs> <laughs> I have political views. There we go. I remember the days. Yeah, art will just slowly phase out. We'll be like, what happened? Everything now just seems to be not art. You're like, well, everything can be art. Do you ever see that happening? What? They're not being art? Well, like art being like phased out. No, it's impossible. Humans n- desperately need it. You have the like, you have the biggest like capitalist bankers. You have the people. You have the most like right wing people. They still love art. They just don't have good taste in art. So mm. will art will will art change? Hell yeah, it will. I mean, uh, this uh, this isn't the topic of the podcast, but look at things like NFTs. Like look at that. You look at the art of NFTs, and it is hot garbage. Mostly, it is hot garbage. Well, you say mostly, and I one hundred percent agree. As someone who owns a couple of NFTs from one of my favorite artists, uh, shout out Mike Mitchell. I absolutely love him. Uh, it is. His art is amazing. Like, yeah, I love it. I'm like, one of them I'm getting printed. It's going up on my wall because I'm like, oh, that's my little piece of his art world. Uh, But people who are buying weird procedurally generated, you know, throw up the air quotes art and going, yeah, I'm going to flip this. We're going to make some money. It's this really, I think that is right now the really weird combination of hyper capitalists going, how can art be money? And it's like, art actually doesn't need to be money. Art can be art. Like, mm-hmm. art can just be a nice thing that makes humans connected and feel like, and we'll always have it. You know, even even if, the, even if we all get replaced by robots, the robots are going to find a cool hum that, you know, slightly undulates, and they're like, oh, it's a binary hum, and if you translate, oh, ho, ho, we're just, you know, like, I- human beings, even if we create AI, they will it will find a way to to find art you know like human beings we love it speaking of things we love the dice show that was very entertaining when i went oh yeah thanks for yeah, coming out no problem me and steven dallow came to see you yeah um, it was cool uh it was i because i've heard you on kickouts a few times and i was like oh one day i must go see and he's like hey want to go see a comedy show he just texted me i was like oh who is it he's like oh steven Lyons. i'm like oh yes please yeah why not um yeah it was a it's a the dice show i created with um mike kevin who you will have seen on the night um a few years ago and it really was like we wanted to create something that would kind of stretch ourselves and it was so fun to work on something that is a combination of stand-up and improv in a way that we weren't really seeing elsewhere. And in a, the cool thing is Mike is such a... Mike Kevin, who's also an incredible illustrator, but is such a beautifully methodic comedian. He really loves comedy. He loves like the math and science of comedy and how it works. And for me, I love the um, the nature of comedy. I love the energy, the flow, and being present. So it was cool sitting down and trying to create something that supported and heightened both of those things, but was also a little bit educational for the audience. Hmm. Uh, because the cool thing about the Dice Show is, ideally, you walk away as an audience member understanding a little bit more about how hard stand-up is to do. like how, like, how And you see it happening in real time and when it goes well it feels amazing but it's also a safe space where you know if it goes less well you're like yeah because of this is hard mm. uh, a lot of a, a lot of audience members for comedy shows 
they don't have that same experience of going like, oh yeah, this is normal comedy is written, rewritten, reworked, tightened. You know, it's over and over again. So it's very cool to be able to pull back the curtain and go, great, give us a suggestion and this is what brain do. I was a bit disheartened that my one wasn't chosen, but it's fine. What was yours? I was the guy who screamed out, um, watching people get hurt or something. <laughs> You're like, America's Funniest Home Videos! <laughs> Just that show! I know. Yeah. That show was great. Uh, I grew up watching that show. I loved it. I mean, it was the original Fail videos. Yeah, it was before Fail Army existed. Which is now, I think Fail Army was on TV3 or something. It got picked up by a station. Yeah, yeah. YouTube uh, channel. Yeah. Yeah, um, which is great. It's, yeah. I mean, those videos are, you know, let, let's face it, we're human beings. It's funny. It's funny, uh, but it's also, it's a really good thing for that is it's a big reminder because um, all of those fail videos and America's Funniest Home videos, core, they dial into the core concept of you always have to be punching up. You know, if an old man is walking down the street and slips on a banana, then we go, oh shit, is, are you okay? If he's wearing, you know, a brand new suit, he just hopped out of a Lamborghini and he has a monocle on and he slips over, we go, ha, suck it, rich guy. Uh, which is a weird, weird human thing, but it is a thing where, you know, like, we're like, hey, share, share the love. Let's do, let's, let's all be in this together. I don't know. <laughs> Fail videos are a delightful weirdness. I think it also shows, uh, it's cool that something can be picked up off of YouTube and then make it into like, I guess the mainstream circuit like going from youtube to now being on tv3 i think it is i think that was pretty cool it's not something that's done commonly yeah so new zealand's actually gone interestingly the other way so in the u.s it was like hey we've got a web series let's develop that into a tv show new zealand now we're going let's fund web series so that we can actually create some fun stuff and then if the web series go well then we'll use that talent to create bigger shows and it's a really great idea because it really helps to support, um, you know, starting artists, you know, people who are just starting to generate stuff, as well as established artists doing something in a safe way. Because New Zealand, like, if you just get thrown a TV show and put up, the public here is pretty brutal. Yeah, we're going to rip you apart. Yeah, whereas if you have a, if you do it as a web series, then it's like, great, where's our audience? Let's go and see it. Yeah, and then you get that audience on board, and so then when it goes to be mainstream, the hope is that the support and love is there. And it also means that they're able to roll the dice on some more interesting and creative ideas. Hmm. Uh, the dice show that we just had past had um, uh, Courtney Dawson on it, who's absolutely amazing, and she uh, it was her first time doing uh, improvised stand-up with us, so it was very, very cool that we got to have that experience. But she's the host of uh, Rags Are Riches on uh, Moldy TV, and so it's so cool to have like this cool, like a, a really awesome show that is a space where it's not being like pushed out on tv3 at seven o'clock so it's like oh you can have fun and a production company can you know put it up and make it incredible and then we go great you nailed that what's next how do we you know a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more and i think my hope is that that's going to help new zealand take more risk on different performers and different uh concepts rather than you know going oh we've got these five comedians let's you know keep just keep hiring them because yeah. there are uh and it, it doesn't work out well for me but there are so many incredible comedians in new zealand right now you know and, and you know like there's uh, there's so many incredible comedians in auckland right now you know and you know and if you leave auckland then you're like oh no there's even there's more there's even more of them out there uh we just have a great like kiwis have such a good sense of humor and, um, you know, it is like our comedy revolution is kind of I think it's just starting and we're we're going to find like we have all of these incredible shows popping up and it's just a matter of time before. I mean, like we are having, you know, things like what we do in Shadows, you know, is incredible in the U.S. at the moment. It's going really well. You have Taika and Reese um, doing all that. Rose Matafeo, like how incredible is that for New Zealand comedy? Uh, and all of that just feeds into getting more and more performers out there and hopefully able to sustain themselves, you know, somewhat financially. 
Is the dice show going to make a return at some point, or have you got something else in the works? Uh, the thing about the dice show is we were doing it as a monthly show at the Classic, and we kind of, you know, we got shut down by that first pandemic um, lockdown, and we just haven't been able to go back. So for me at the moment, it's just us trying to find space. Yeah, I love the show so much. It's such a great chance to incubate performers, to introduce them to audiences, and also to build up a um, the people who came to our second performance at the Rose Center uh, in Belmont. Uh, there were some people who had been to the first one as well, and they mentioned like it was so cool getting to know the performers. And so part of the structure of the Dice Show was set up so that by the end of the hour, you actually feel like you know the performers. Uh, I love the Dice Show so much because it creates a space where, regardless of the topic, people get to talk their truth. And a lot of time as performers, as stand-up comedians, we have to curate our truth so that it's uh, the maximum level of accessible to an audience. And, yeah, like you said before, it is definitely different to other things that are out there. Yeah, well, I mean, we're we're desperate to get it out. We're trying to, you know... Um, uh, our, it's just, there's, it's really tough to find venue spaces in Auckland at the moment. Well, at the moment, uh, you know, it has been for a very long time as performers, it's really competitive to get stage time and to find spaces that want to support things. Uh, the dice show we we're trying, you know, I've, uh, you know, we've applied, I think two or three times to the comedy festival, um, two or three times to the basement and so for me, it's just about trying to find a home for this show that for me is, it's educational for audiences. It's empowering for performers. You know, we've had um, Ed Amon, who was on uh, the night that you were there. It was his first time doing improvised stand-up that night. And he was like, he was beaming because he was like, oh, I didn't think I could do it, but I knew I could do it. Uh, and so for me, it's like, it's actually a really good incubator for parts of stand up comedy that we, it's harder to workshop outside of that environment. And most importantly, oh, it's just so much fun. It's, uh, you know, it is, you build these stories within it. You have all of these crazy things going on. And the hope is that you walk away from the night with something like that, where you're like, man, I didn't really know that stuff. Um, which is not to say that comedy should, you know, has to be educational, but I think the, the cool thing about comedy is you're learning about other people's point of view. And that's what this show does really well. Because even if one person steps up and says, this is my point of view afterwards, you get to chat and be like, oh, well, this is actually my situation. This is how I grew up. This is what I see. So you get these different voices interacting. So Oh, we just, my, um, <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I love the show. It means a lot to me. Uh, yeah, I've got other shows that I work on as well, but that one has a special place in my heart because we, it, it is my type of good, dumb fun. And I would love, love for it to be a regular show. You know, we'd love for it to be um, in, a, a, you know, we did it. We took it up to Whangarei for the Whangarei Fringe. And that to me was like exactly how the dice show should work because we had two guest performers who were local um, and uh, Ollie Scripps and Toast and they both did such a great job and they were like, oh man, I was so scared. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but the show structure is set up so that you, like, that's a good scared. You know, mm. you're nervous and we've got you, we, you know. Uh, and because... With the way that the show works, you're doing one between one and six minutes of stand-up comedy um, with the possibility of there's an audience um, twist where an audience member gets a special coupon for between one and six minutes. So we've had nights where people have had to do 12 minutes. You were uh, you were there on the April 1st show yep. where if anyone ran or rolled a one, they had to roll a 20-sided dice. We don't normally do that because that's crazy uh, because six minutes is... Uh, one minute and six minutes are both a terrible amount of time to have to improvise stand-up comedy. Why do you say that? Because to be funny in one minute is, I mean, how long have we been recording this? Exactly. And I haven't made you laugh yet. Normally, I'm a lot more... Normally, I'm just going to keep saying normally. Normally, that's how, that's how my stand-up shows go. Normally, I'm a lot funnier. I've been Stephen Lyons. Have a great night. Well, just especially after COVID, what is normal? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like before the pandemic, there was a level of normalcy, but now it's just like, what is normal? Yeah. There was no such thing as normal. 
It is, I can't even fathom what it's like for people your age, you know, because um, it's weird. Um, I'm, you know, cusp, uh, you know, millennial Gen X kind of age group. For us, we actually grew up with all of our movies were this. This is like, you know, when all of the, like, you know, we grew up with zombie movies. We grew up with Contagion. We grew up with the world is ending. So when the pandemic hit, most of the people my age who I talk to, and admittedly, most of us are comedians or pessimists, you know, we're just like, ah, yeah, yeah, that's what we thought was going to happen. You know, like they're talking about like global warming. We're like, yeah, yeah. You told me about that when I was like 12. Like Captain Planet flew around being like, yeah, you're all fucked. And then one dude was like, heart. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. We should use more of that. And then we waited, you know, 20 years, 30 years, and we were like, oh, no. Oh, how did this happen? Oh, capitalism. That's the answer. Uh, we didn't recycle enough enough of our drink bottles. Oh, look, Elon Musk going on another flight to space crazy jeff bezos went to space in his dick rocket elon didn't go to space he sent his car yeah all right good clarify good to clarify just yeah we we on, we are only the most factual here on bean break who thought that bill gates was going to end up being the like weird like yo poor one <laughs> yeah exactly but also the one who's like drifted into the background and was just like you know steepling his fingers going yeah, excellent he's still number three i'm pretty sure oh yeah yeah he's doing great I love the fact that Jeff Bezos was so rich, he got divorced and was still the richest man in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll, uh, as someone who's lived in America, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because everyone used Amazon. Everyone still probably uses Amazon, you know, regardless of the fact that they're like, oh, by the way, the, this is getting shipped to you from a sweatshop. Yeah, there are, yeah, there's been lots of reports recently of them being like the slave driver company. Oh, you got pee in a bottle. Yeah. It's nuts. But we all, but then, yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Capitalism. Who else are you going to use? Uh, yeah. Well, the thing is just pay people. They're like, no, no, we'll get away with this for a few more years and then robots will take over. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with robots taking over, but we need some form of, you know, human help. We yeah. need to look after humans. We can't just be like, robots took over. Jeffrey Bezos owns us now. And if he owns us, then shouldn't he have to take care of us? True, like a pet. Exactly. Jeffrey Bezos, let me suckle at your teat. All right, cradle me while I fall asleep. Oh, it's all I'm asking. <laughs> let me run my fingers through your long, thick hair. He's I'm also, I'm, I'm allowed to, I, I am balding, just so I realize this is a, an auditory uh, medium. Uh, I just want to make sure I'm not, no one feels like I'm being mean to bald people. All right, I'm basically there myself. You got an amazing beard, though. Thank you. The beard makes up for it. It does. The beard. And I do have a post-lockdown mullet at the moment, which is... Look at that. Glorious. Yeah. Oh, it's glorious. It's nasty. The first time I ever saw you, I think it was... I was sent a Zoom recording of a kick-arts interview you did, and you had really short hair, and then I saw you live, and I was like, whoa! Whoa! He has a mullet now! Oh, I don't know how I feel about it. He really grew out (laughs) just the back of his head. Oh. Uh, it was because I um, couldn't get couldn't get a haircut. I haven't had a, a haircut since August, which was the last lockdown. Um, yeah, and so I just I just shaved the sides, and uh, I was trying to get to my barber. And you know, then if you're auditioning, you get put on hold for things. So you audition for something, you get put on hold, and then they're like, "No, we don't want you." Uh, but you've already auditioned for something else, so you get stuck with, "I have to look the same way for X many months." Right. Yeah, I'm coming for a role on Dice Show where I just diss yes. everyone, <laughs> like Don Rickles. Just no one is safe. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, well, I love the Dice Show because it is an ensemble. Uh, but we just haven't had like when we were doing monthly shows, we were starting to get to that level of sassiness with each other. But because we've been off from shows now, we're like, are we all okay? I just want to make sure we're all. Just, is everyone doing? Is everyone thing? all right? Are we having fun? Okay. Oh yeah. So we were talking uh, about traveling with it. Um, yeah. So I, I do love the idea of taking the Dice Show around, and the hope is that we'll do that at some point. Um, in the future, yeah, it's because uh, I'm also I'm working on a game show, um, which is really exciting. So we're uh, I'm hoping to have that up and running for the Auckland Fringe, but it's 
yeah, there's so there's so many possibilities, but you have to do stuff. You need to do stuff, and unfortunately for me, I used to be a really good producer, but you know that like that pandemic just broke my brain. I was like, mm. well, how does anyone do anything, and why? Yes, have they tried sitting? Sitting is safe. You don't have to worry about any of the rules. You don't have to worry about any structure. You don't have to worry Just... about standing. Exactly. Exactly. Standing's also fine if it's still in your room by yourself where it's safe. Stephen Lyons, who inspires you? Oh, good question. Good question. And when I say a good question, uh, what I mean to say is big question, right? Because then you have to go, oh, God. Uh, Generic question. Gen- nah. So... Growing up, I uh, I watched a lot of um, Rowan Atkinson and um, Robin Williams, which are yeah, they were yeah. like my. I mean, weirdly enough, my way I got into Robin Williams was uh, my mum had Good Morning Vietnam as a soundtrack in her car. And so that was basically the first Robin Williams movie that I saw because I was like, oh, I want to I want to see a movie with the guy who does the really fun radio stuff. Then you're just like, war is scary. <laughs> like t- 10 or 11 years old. This is intense. And then he's like, good morning, Bernard. And I'm like, ah, that's my guy. <laughs> uh, so I think that like those guys growing up a lot. I mean, really, uh, yeah, my mom inspires me the most to be pretty generic about it. Uh, is like, I, I'm... Um, was raised by my mum. She is like the master of all, you know, like she was so great um, raising raising me and my brothers. And, oh, yeah, just, um, but like, I think the biggest inspiration these days is just other comedians. Is like everyone around you know, that is doing good work, that is looking after each other, that's um, respecting each other. And it was really, that was something that I um, noticed a lot when I was in Chicago is this really interesting balance of people working really hard, but, uh, but also making room for each other in some interesting ways and fun ways. Um, being back in New Zealand, it's just been so cool because there's so many people who are so talented, um, doing, doing the thing that they love. Um, inspiration. Yeah. It's, I try to approach every day with that, with childlike eyes is the, I think the Zen, term Mm. of just being like what's around me what is here uh people man everyone's just doing great shit does that make sense yeah everyone's making everyone's doing great everyone's everyone's just doing good stuff being out there um yeah it's it's weird as you get older it's more like i don't know everyone's doing their own thing uh yeah i still consume like a lot but yeah, like, it's also, is, yeah, I guess that's inspiration. Mm. I don't know. Do you get inspired by other art forms? Oh, yeah, yeah, mostly. <laughs> mostly. I watch, like, I watch a lot of drama and science fiction when I'm at home. Uh, I don't watch that much comedy, which, you know, any comedian who's listening to this will be like, yeah, we know, we've seen you perform. Uh, we can tell. I'm like, oh, well. Uh, but like I, yeah, and I love, I love cartoons. I've always loved watching cartoons is being, I mean, that's just, yeah, I grew up on cartoons. Mm. Like my, I grew up with about 50, uh, VHS cassettes of American Saturday morning cartoons. Cause when we moved to Saudi Arabia, they knew we weren't going to have any TV. So they just filmed Saturday mornings. Um, so yeah. I grew up watching all manner of weird, uh, like gummy bears, GI Joe, Jim. I still love New Zealand. When I when I was growing up, we used to watch Jim and the Holograms before school. And if you haven't seen Jim and the Holograms, it's basically Hannah Montana, but adults, and it's the nineties. Yeah, it's outrageous. It was truly outrageous. That's a that's a Jim reference for the three people who know Jim. If three people listen to this. Whoa! Burn on me got turned into a burn on you. Ooh, self burn. Those self are rare. Self burn. <laughs> the worst of kinds of burns. I, I, my solo show that I did um, over the last couple of years it has a lot of self-deprecating comedy in it, and I'd done it in Auckland, and it had been really fun, really great crowds. And I took it to Wellington, and it was so funny because I did it. Um, 
you know, to a, uh, a beautiful small Wellington crowd, but they were way too empathetic. So like you're doing like I'm doing these self depreciating uh, deprecating jokes, and they're like, "Oh man, are you okay?" <laughs> I'm like, "I mean, not yes. I mean, I wrote the jokes about it, but also no. You can tell like I needed to write yeah. the jokes about it. That's the risk you run with." New Zealand crowds, they're either like, ah, this is funny, or, oh, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Are you all right? I'm like, not really, but this does make it better. Not really, but you guys paid to see me, so. (laughs) Paid for me to tell you how I'm not all right. Therapy, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, for me, it it definitely is, is like... I never, my stand-up is never me, like, trying to work through stuff. It's always going, like, what's a fun thing, and where does this go? And it can be tough because sometimes you go, like, oh, this is a fun idea, and then as it builds out, like, the comedy is heightening. But by heightening, you're also implying, like, oh, all of this is happening. Hmm. You're like, ah, it's an interesting balance. Yeah, you don't want to undersell something, but you also don't want people coming up to you after a show being like, hey, man, if you ever need to talk. (laughs) I'm here for you. I'm like, I always need to talk. Uh, Why do you think I got into this profession? What would you say is your best and then on the flip side, worst moment or incident that happened on stage or at any point? So uh, I don't like I don't have a very good functioning uh, memory. So for me, I don't really remember. I remember bad stuff, but only briefly. Fair enough. Um, yeah, and and then it'll it'll just slowly fade out. I mean, I've been I started doing improv when I was twenty, right? Uh, and I turned forty last year. So you've been doing it a couple <laughs> years. So I've had uh, one of my. I mean, I still remember. I was uh, I was working on a cruise ship doing uh, sketch comedy. And I had uh, I have a lot of anxiety around learning scripts because of uh, how my brain functions. Um, it, it's hard for me to learn a script, but then it is also sometimes, you know, sometimes it's just you're just looking for the script in your brain, and you're like, Ugh. you know, um, I got cast on um, cruise ships uh, based off improv. And they were like, great, we love your improv. Come and do uh, work on this cruise ship. Uh, it's two 40-minute sketch reviews, two hour-long improv shows, and one uh, two-hour murder mystery. Um, And you leave in a month. And I was like, and so I bought these books to try and um, work on my memory, use like memory palaces, use link systems and things. Uh, But I still had my second contract. I was backstage one day about two months into the contract and the the song started up and I just could not find my line. Like, you know, by that point, there's no scripts backstage. You know, this is, we've been doing this every week for, you know, months now. And it was just a mental block where, like, I turned to my, you know, one of the actors next to me. I was like, do you know what my line is? <laughs> and I, I knew, like, once I had it, I'd be fine. I had to run all the way across the backstage. And I was like, do you know what my line? I, th- I think it's something like, and it had to work because I had to say the right thing to set up the rhyme for the next person to say. <laughs> Oh. And it's just, uh, I, um, before I went out on my first contract, I just had anxiety nightmares constantly about forgetting lines and things like that, uh, is, yeah. But I also love, I love overcoming that and, um, auditioning has been really great because you just get used to learning scripts. You're just like, great. I have to learn a script. Cool. We learned a script. Let's go. It's like 100% a muscle that you build up. Um, best time, best times. All the times, yeah. I've uh, I've been very, very my sol- getting to do my first solo hour long show was an absolute delight. That was, um, yeah, that meant the world to me. And my solo show is called Deep Cuts, and it's all about like uh, scars. So it's basically talking about my life, but through scars that I have on my body. Um, yeah. Um, so when I moved to America, I realized like. American kids can't adventure the same way New Zealand kids can because they don't have ACC. They don't have um, health insurance. Mm. So, like, Kiwi kids, yeah, we climb trees, we run around, we get into we get into trouble, and then we go to the hospital. Yeah, in America, you can't do that because if you end up in hospital, you've possibly cost your family your house. Yeah. So it's a lot higher stakes. Obviously, these are very broad strokes. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of kids in America running around having a great time. 
Uh, but the people who I met were like, man, you've got a lot of scars. And so I had that in my mind when I wrote my first show. And uh, after I wrote my first show, um, I performed the, performed the work in progress of it. And people were like, man, you've got a lot of scars. And I was like, wait, I'm hearing that from New Zealanders? And then I realized, oh, like, yeah, there is a discrepancy between New Zealand upbringing and American. But there's also a huge discrepancy between possibly, you know, ADHD, uh, you know, uh, accident-prone child and normal people or your average New Zealander. So I have, mm-hmm. like, I have a bunch of scars from, like, falling downstairs, you know, step, you know stepping on a hurdle at the wrong angle, you know, uh, cl- climbing this thing that I shouldn't have climbed and so on and so forth. Uh, scar on my hand from running through a glass pane. I've done that. Yeah, right? Haven't we all? Exactly. Uh, exactly. So it's, it's a thing that like you, but uh, you know, your average, your average Kiwi, I think does adventure a little bit more as a kid than, um, your average American broad strokes. Mm. Uh, but getting to perform that show and, uh, uh, that show people can draw their own um, scars on little um, pieces of paper and share them in the room. So it's really fun to like help people celebrate the scars because it is something where for most of my life has been more of a sign of uh, like, it's less celebratory. It's more like, Oh, what happened to you? Rather than like, Oh, you survived. Uh, which is, I think that's what, you know, like, cause some scars are really negative and have negative connotations, negative stories behind them. You know, uh, eh, but a lot of scars for us, they shouldn't have that sense of shame. They should just be, you know, this is my body and we're going through a journey and that's the roadmap. Hindsight makes things funny. Yeah. Time and time and, uh, you know, emotional space. Mm. Yeah. And, and the hope is that that show uh, helped some people to go like, Oh yeah, this is part of who I am. Um, which was really, it was so that for me getting to write and perform that show was, yeah, such an amazing thing and, and getting hired for, the cruise ships work that I did was absolutely incredible. Like that was, uh, unexpected. Uh, my whole time in Chicago was really hard work, but the opportunities and the shows that we got to perform there. I mean, I got, I got to write and produce a semi scripted musical improvised parody of antiques Roadshow. Jesus. Like, it, it was so fun, and it was like, we had sold-out crowds, you know, I got to host in full character, we had an opening number, and people would bring objects in, and then we had performers who were playing characters would musically appraise their objects. Like, you just get, like, that, being able to put shows like that on, it was such a gift, it was so amazing. Um, shout out to my friend Scotty, uh, who, uh, helped me, (laughs) who's the reason that we came up with that absurd, weird show. Um, and it is like, yeah, that time in Chicago of just getting to do so much and so much stuff that I was not comfortable doing in New Zealand because I was so nervous. Uh, when I left New Zealand, I'd been doing improv for 10 years and I was too scared to do stand up comedy here. You know, I was too scared to sing on stage here, really. Um, whereas in Chicago, I kind of had to do it all. You had to get over all of that stuff because you were like, there are so many people here with so many insane talents that you're just like, oh, geez, I better add, I better add some uh, arrows to my quiver, so to speak. Otherwise, I'm going to end up being like, hey, I have bow and arrow. <laughs> Good work. You wanna, you wanna work with bow and arrow, guy? They were like, oh, this crossbow person over here, and that guy's got a ballista. So, mm, no thanks. Mm. How did your um, TV3 gig come about, being a warm-up um, person? Uh, they um, The best is a lot of gigs like that. People are like, oh, my God, how did you get this thing? And it's like, they advertised. <laughs> they advertised, a bunch of us responded, and some of us got to do the gig. Uh, so, um, obviously a lot of that got shut down with the pandemic, which is unfortunate. Uh, but I did have a couple of years of really fun getting to warm up audiences, um, and connecting with them. And I still absolutely love that work. Getting to, getting to warm up a crowd is a really special experience because you're the, you're the conduit between the audience experience and what the show is 
trying to create. So you get to go like, I need to get the audience into the right space for what this is. Mm. Uh, so it is really, and warming up for the project is uh, great. Warming up for seven days, a lot more high stakes. Because <laughs> the thing about the project is people just want to have a good time. When you're warming up for seven days, it's like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, like we need to, I need to be funny. I need to be good. Mm. But it's also just incredible to be in the room seeing, you know, the New Zealand comedians who are, you know, basically at the top of their game kicking ass and, um, Yo, know, to be part of production like that is, uh, it's a real honor and it is something that is very cool to do. What would you tell? What would you tell Steve? a younger version of yourself or someone who's wanting to get into the comedy scene or art scene in general? Oh man, I take the time to, uh, to celebrate who you are. Because I, um, a lot of my uh, acting career, I kind of was trained into being an empty vessel, into being like, what is this need? What, uh, you know, like, what is this need? How can I help this? Um, you need to, if you're doing comedy, it should always be about creating positive experiences for people. You are a person. And you need to make sure that your voice is being heard and that you are being true to who you are is like, I'm, you know, I, I am of an age where we weren't, you know, what we were, we were told you can do anything you want, but we weren't really told you can, you can be happy doing it. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've spent the longest time of, uh, we talked about me having bright shirts. Uh, the reason I have bright shirts is, uh, when I was a teenager and in my early twenties, I dressed so no one would notice me. I dressed as undercut as possible as I could. You know, I didn't, I, you know, I really suffered from that tall poppy, uh, outcome of, you know, I was a f outspoken, fun loving, weird kid who just went, I don't want anyone to notice me. I don't want to be the focus. And I really, if I could talk to little Steven, I would say, um, uh, embrace your freak. Uh, as Susan Messing from the annoyance, uh, told me one is, yeah, embrace your freak, you know, because we're, if you're an artist that, that is, it's not just your responsibility. It's literally your job. You have to acknowledge who you are and what your point of view is. I still struggle to do that. I'm still... Uh, you know, they say like for a stand-up comedy, your first seven years is you trying to find your voice. Um, because I started with improv where you literally start with nothing and you are, uh, I, I was kind of told the, be the best way to be a good improviser is to be an empty vessel that the audience and that the suggestion can fill up. Uh, my time in Chicago really taught me you, you conceptually great but you are still that glass and you need to know what kind of vessel you are and you need to know what nooks and crannies are going to fill up while you're doing that so find what you love celebrate it don't be afraid of it uh I, yeah and i'm not telling that to young steven i'm telling that to steven right now of i still find it really hard to be who i am on stage and uh yeah i hope that everyone out there can you know and that is the biggest, like, any of the new comedians that I see who I'm just, like, blown away by people 15 years, 20 years younger than me doing great, it is almost always about the fact that they connect with what they care about. Whether they're aware of it or not, they're doing, you know, they know what they want to say, and it is so gorgeous to see. And audiences love it because, you know, we're human. Most of us don't know what's going on. Mm. Yeah, uh, it's just some of us don't know what we're going on and we want to tell you about it. Tips for young Stephen. If you can not do comedy, then fucking go and ex do something else, little Stephen. Buy a house. Make money. Make money. Maybe maybe do go into advertising. <laughs> Is that what you were going to do if you didn't do comedy? I did do it. I worked uh, I worked as a graphic designer most of my adult life. Um, it was only when I came back to New Zealand that I did full-time comedy. When I was in Chicago, I was working uh, four days a week as a graphic designer. Um, when I was in New Zealand, I worked as uh, my first job. Um, my first first job was working at Can West in the More FM building uh, as a um, web designer. 
And, um, you know, and that for me was really exciting. Uh, unfortunately, that also was like, you know, I was next door to the copywriting team and they were hilarious and they were amazing. And I'm like, oh my God, this, this is so great. Uh, and I worked in advert. I, um, after university, uh, I worked at, worked in advertising and communications for a little bit, loved it. You know, I still love graphic design. I'm doing, um, design for my friend's wedding at the moment, making some movie posters for him that are gorgeous. And, and I like doing that. Uh, it was when I came back to New Zealand, I couldn't find, uh, part-time work as a graphic designer. Uh, you know, everywhere was like, yeah, come in, come in and work 40 to 120 hours a week. And I was like, I love it, but no. Um, and I just ended up, uh, accidentally organically that I was like, oh, actually I have enough money between shows and, um, commercials and stuff. You know, this is, you know, so I didn't really make the conscious choice to become a full-time comedian it was just oh actually i have enough money to survive i think that technically makes me a professional just sort of materialized yeah i'm like i i you know for me i'm like well i surviving doesn't make me a professional surviving <laughs> makes me surviving makes me sustain like sustainable you know thriving i think will make me a professional and i'm yeah i'm still you know years away from that and but that's that's part of this industry is just trying to find people who want to roll the dice on you and putting yourself out there i mean for me the biggest thing is trying to be trying to be positive and stay um you know stay in it stay working at it because when you're in this industry like most of the creative industries there's going to be big setbacks and there's a lot of it is down to who's willing to roll the dice on you and who's willing to take a chance uh, and work with you and put you in those positions. And yeah, for me, I have a very specific set of skills. Um, All right, Taken. Yeah, <laughs> I remember Taken. Um, yeah, like I have a very, yeah, I, I have a weird set of skills that you know that means that the things that i would be good at are you know then it's not a huge amount of opportunities so you just kind of have to be around and hoping that people will roll the dice on you you know um the project uh the wonderful um jeremy elwood uh he gave me a chance and he said hey you know we like what you do we like your energy come in you know and uh i was with the project for about four years uh and yeah, it's so great. And, you know, you get to do all, you know, I got to meet David Duchovny, which is amazing for me because I loved the X-Files as a kid. Now that you've been interviewed and interrogated on Bean Break, who else do you want to um, hear on the show? Uh, I feel like Patrick Gower is always an interesting person to talk to. Uh, he's a great one. Uh, if you're looking for comedians, then highly recommend Courtney Dawson. She's absolutely wonderful, doing great things. Um, yeah, everyone, the, uh, any of the dice team are incredible as well. Uh, Mike, Kevin, Ed Amon, in, uh, absolutely wonderful. Becky Umbers, talk to her. Uh, she, um, uh, she used to work for, uh, in radio. So she's a good person to talk to as well. Um, she works for the project now, I believe. Um, yeah, there's just so, there's so many Sam Smith, get Sam Smith in here. He just wrote a book. Snake bought a cake. If you want to interview comedians, we are accessible and we like to talk. Finally, where can the people find you? Please find me at Stephen Lyons Comedy on uh, Facebook. You can find me at Steve Lyons, S-T-E-L-Y-O-N-S, on uh, Twitter and Instagram. My Instagram I don't really uh, update very often, and it's more personal, but my Twitter stuff, you can find some silly tweets. Uh, you can find me on Twitch at This Is Rabbit if I ever uh, stream again. Uh, I will give a, a hearty plug to uh, Paper Goat, which is uh, my production company slash social enterprise. And we are the ones that produce basically all of the shows that we do. Uh, the Dice Show, um, Virtually There, a few other things. And uh, Paper Goat is a really fun. We'd love it if you can go and give us a like on Facebook. Uh, it means the world to us or sign up to our emails um, if I work out how to do that at some point. Uh, and just, yeah, don't don't be shy. Don't be shy. We're all around. You know, we're just trying to 
Yeah, for me, I'm, I just want to make people smile and I want to give them a good time and uh, make them laugh as best I can uh, or as worst I can because sometimes making people laugh uh, involves telling the worst jokes that you can think of. Fair enough. That's just science. That's just science. Uh, yeah, sometimes people are laughing at me, some people are laughing with me, and sometimes people are laughing at me, but they don't know that they're actually laughing with me. And I'm okay with that as well. Because they're laughing. Yes! Success! Success! You got what you wanted. Uh, if you want to see me perform, um, you can track me down at the classic website, uh, comedy.co.nz. They have a listing for me that'll tell you if I've got any shows coming up there. Um, other than that, mostly you can catch me online. Uh, the Dice Show will be back at the Rose Center in August. We've got to finalize some of that stuff. And uh, we're looking actively looking at venues before then um, so that we can try and get the show up and around Auckland because it's such a delight to perform. And we're going to try and find some weird, fun venues that people can come and hang out at. Awesome. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on and talking. We talked. This we is the talked. most I've talked to a person. Ever. Yeah. Tell my girlfriend I'm not a good partner. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking time out of the day to come on and chat to me. Thanks, Blake. What's this bean? It's bean. Break. Bean break. <laughs> hey, that's bean. Bean break. 